And ten dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off. For, <laughs> it's indubitious. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. (laughs) Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy. Well, look at that pregnant lady walking along. The way she moves, she's a walking song. That baby's inside her, and it's a kicking its feet. It's saying, let me out of here. I want to dance in the street. Sing, bounce a little, bounce a belly. Bounce a little, bounce a belly. Bounce a little, bounce a belly. Out comes a person. 
You know she walks leaning back, it's an ancient dance. Nice to see that she tastes romance, that soul's coming through her. The time is right to leave the dark waters and see some sunlight. We sing, bounce a little, bounce a belly, bounce a little, bounce a belly, bounce a little, bounce a belly, out comes a person. Is it a girl or a boy? <laughs> Nobody know. We all take bets at a dollar a throw and we sit on the steps as the sun go down and all the new babies and all the old babies that live in our town sing bounce a little bouncy belly bounce a little bouncy belly bounce a little bouncy belly out comes a person Tonight's the night, everybody run in circle. They do what they can to help out the miracle. Mama breathing hard with wall of her might. Newborn singing, I'll be your baby tonight. We're singing, bounce a little, bounce a belly. Bounce a little, bounce a belly. Bounce a little, bounce a belly. Out comes a person. Now bring baby out under soft, quiet light. Keep baby warm and treat baby right. Now give baby a drink from that hopeful breath. And mama and baby take a rest and be blessed. We sing, bounce a little, bounce a belly, bounce a little, bounce a belly, bounce a little, bounce a belly, out comes a person. Bounce a little, bounce a belly, bounce a little, bounce a belly, bounce a little, bounce a belly, out comes a brand new person. I forgot, I forgot I left my car somewhere in the parking lot I forgot, I forgot My car keys, they're right here No, they're not I had a job lined up over the hill On the business end of a great big drill I could have made some money to pay my bills But I spent my jack chasing too many jills Cause I forgot, I forgot I went out of coins to put in the memory slot I forgot, I forgot My money, it's right here, no it's not I had an idea for the world's greatest tune Rolling down the road neath a great big moon I won't forget it this time around Next off ramp I'll ride it down but I forgot, I forgot My memory just got sacked by Ronnie Lott I forgot, I forgot My glasses, they're in the case, no they're not Thoughts come and go, a million a second That's a conservative count of thoughts I reckon In boomer world we tries and cries But we still put our nose drops in our eyes because things are not just what they seem. Quick, Scotty, up the beam, because I forgot to remember to tell myself to remind me to confirm with somebody else. 
because I forgot, I forgot. Great story I had to tell, but I forgot the plot. I forgot, I forgot. My computer even forgot to come my dot. The last verse of the song ain't just no simple filler. Musicians say it's really killer. I wrote a Chuck Berry tight to fit. Now if only I could remember it. But I forgot. I forgot. I left my car somewhere in the parking lot. I forgot. I forgot. Well, my car keys, well, <laughs> they're right here. No, they're not. Now, where are those little yellow pieces of sticky paper that I'm supposed to have that I stick on things to remember? I forgot where I put them. And where's that little black electronic box with a little red button on it that's supposed to help me find my car in the parking lot? I forgot where I put it. I guess I just forgot.
Good morning, everyone. The Labor and Love Show. We're uh, celebrating today and dedicating this program in the memory of Robert Charles Morgan, musician, radio personality, raconteur, carpenter, father, son, brother, Uh, we lost this last week. Last, uh, was it Saturday, I suppose. I don't know. <clears throat> Charlie was my brother, and we played some songs there at the beginning. We're going to play the rest of it. He, he put out a, a CD called Chasmo Now. And we're playing selections from that all day on the show. We started out with a song of his named Bounce a Belly which is sort of a, a homage to pregnant women and how they move and the whole miracle around uh, giving birth, which we certainly don't pay enough attention to. And uh, then we had uh, I Forgot, a uh, little walking blues about how it's so easy to forget all the things we have to remember. And how we have to remember to forget or forget to remember, something like that. And then I played uh, Zorba the Greek. <clears throat> Our family is Greek, and the last thing my brother was doing out in public that Saturday was dancing. He was dancing at a local bar. And so he took that whole thing about moving and dancing in order to express your feelings and in this case express your grief he took all that seriously what do we do when the rope runs out when someone dies or when a thief or a liar gets into office and takes money from those who need it and gives it to those who've already got it what can we do when we have a defeat in the battle for social justice, even though we know we're going to win the war? We dance. And so Zorba danced. I got one I want to play. My Our mother was Greek, and our father was Irish. It's a famous Irish song about a minstrel like Charlie who's gone. That's not it. boy to the war is gone in the ranks of death you'll find him his father's sword he has girded 
And said, no chains shall assolve thee, the soul of love and bravery. Thy songs were made for the pure and free. They shall never sound in A Minstrel Boy, sung by John McDermott, <clears throat> an Irish song, a traditional Irish song about a uh, musician who goes to war. And uh, you could say Charlie was certainly a musician, and he was always at war on the side of social justice, on the side of the people who didn't have, as opposed to the people who had. <clears throat> he wrote several songs. We'll play some more a little later. Charlie was born uh, October 13, 1948, in San Francisco. And uh, he was three years younger than me. We grew up in uh, houses on Baker Street, uh, out on the avenues, Later, our family moved to Marin. At some point, when he was about 14 years old, an aunt and a cousin <coughs> bought him a guitar. 
And from that time on, his, his life was changed forever. He dedicated himself to music. And from that time on, he played. I remember he played at a family gathering the first time in public, singing a song to uh, called Oleana. I want to take time and thank our cousin, Denny, for being the one who got Charlie his first guitar. He got so he, there were certain songs that he really could perform. And uh, this is one of them. This is, uh, I'm sure you'll recognize it <clears throat> if I can find it. There we go. Never know how much I love you Never know how much I care When you put your arms around me I get a fever that's so hard to bear You give me fever When you kiss me fever When you hold me tight Fever In the morning A fever all through the night Sun lights up the daytime, moon lights up the night. I light up when you call my name, and you know I'm gonna treat you right. You give me fever when you kiss me, fever when you hold me tight. Fever in the morning, a fever all through the night. Everybody's got the fever That is something you all know Fever isn't such a new thing Fever started long ago Romeo loved Juliet Juliet, she felt the same when he put his arms around her He said, Julie, baby, you're my flame Now give us fever When we kiss it, fever with thy flaming youth Fever, I'm a fire Fever, yea, I burn forsooth Captain Smith and Pocahontas had a very mad affair When her daddy tried to kill him She said, Daddy, oh, don't you dare Give me fever With his kisses, fever when he holds me tight Fever, I'm his missus Daddy, won't you treat him right Now you've listened to my story Here's the point that I have made Chicks were born to give you fever Be it Fahrenheit or centigrade To give you fever When you kiss them fever If you live, you learn Fever Till you sizzle 
Charlie. The other day I was in the mood for some energy in the form of food and greeting the owner as I entered the store I didn't realize what I was in for. Test tube food. <laughs> as I walked down the aisle from the shelves the packages all tried to sell themselves. I'm ten cents off. Buy me you. I got pink and purple hues. Howard Hughes, Test Tube Blues. You'll like me, honey, said some salad oil. The figure of my bottle will never spoil. And on my back, there's an offer label for a CD player for your kitchen table. Sorry, sister. You look a little bit too oil slicky for me. This food's fun, it'll get your girls, and the coupon gets your flag that unfurls to the beat of the Spangled Banner song. You better try it now, the offer won't last long. Homeland Security food, you eat it, and it does surveillance inside you the rest of your life. I found out where the produce were, and I bebopped on over there. I said they chemical rated this food with bombs like the plants and the people in Vietnam. Agent Oranges. I held a tomato in my hand. It was red but hard, you understand. Tomato, I said, this ain't your natural beauty. You're a drugged up money making cutie. Just a pretty face. Folks that drew your love, only wealth, they don't give a damn about our health. Shut up and package without love. Tomato, you weren't grown up, you were shoved. Your upbringing's gonna bring me down. Still standing in the produce section of a supermarket, surrounded by people uh, speaking to a tomato. By eating you, I'm gonna bum trip, kid. You done more drugs than I ever did. We're victims of a capitalistic raid and the folks that picked you were underpaid. Viva Cesar Chavez! The cash register ring awakened me and it brought me out of my fantasy. And I went and I spoke to the counter cat and I told him just where I was at. Here and now, wow, wow. I said, Lord knows I got a rumbling gut and my stomach thinks my throat's been cut. But I ain't about to have my insides glued by this poison I call test tube food, you eat it. Raw, 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 raw.
Yeah, there's plenty of things here you want me to swallow, but my body and soul would still be hollow. Besides, I sing off-key madrigals if I ate a food with 17 syllables. Easier to swallow a scrabble board. Methyl oxide, potassium methyl, was that their regular ethyl? There's Panama red and there's methyl red, and one will leave you tired and the other one dead, take your pick. Now through corporate proclivities, some food has radioactivity. Glowing proof that yours can be a radiant nuclear family. You don't even have to cook it either. You just open the can on the counter and it has a meltdown. So I went to a place where the food was fast serving clone cows raised on pasture land rainforest once. I think I'd rather have some slow food for lunch. But not a corporate burger. It could have come from a septic company merger and it ain't no fun to eat what's in between those buns. Now I ain't quite ready to live just on the rays of the sun like I know some Indian yogis have done. But you are what you eat and how strange you see to go by the name of MSG. This is the Georgie and Johnny show. Georgie is George Bush, a rich guy who wants us to think he's a hard guy. So maybe he wants us to call him George Butch. And Johnny, well, Johnny is Johnny Ashcroft. He's kind of a weird dude who runs around covering up the breasts of statues, which really makes you wonder what kind of a relationship the guy had with his mother. You come on TV. Disguised as the president, don't you, Georgie Bush? You want us up against the wall from your constant push? Don't you, Georgie Bush? Johnny Ashcroft, your general of attorneys, a general nuisance is he. He's in my computer, in my prison cell phone, listening to my lawyer and me. Johnny ran for governor in the show me state, wiretapping the voice in his head. But the voters showed him his hearing was gone cause he lost to a man who was dead. You hide in the darkness with a wide angle lens and your microphone wires all a humming. And you know what we're doing as we live honest lives, whether we're going or eating or a coming. You got all the bugs bugged, all your liars are spying, and your rats are watching the deers. And you look so funny with your two million eyes and your homeland security ears. Mm -hmm. 
I got 20 connections on my telephones. My potatoes got both eyes and ears. And at home, I got my George Orwell video. It watches me and it hears. Democracy is what you're maintaining. You lie to us on TV. But while we're watched and we're hunted and spied on and lied to, Georgie, you know we ain't free. When you're gone, they'll say he knew everyone but himself. You know it's true. But you ain't relaxing as long as I can't, because, Georgie, I'm watching you. Okay, Charlie Morgan from his album Chasmo Now, published uh, 2004, I think, 2005, <clears throat> but work that's as up to date as anything. Uh, that was, uh, I'm watching you, Georgie, talking about the surveillance industry. And before that, test tube food. What's really in the food that we're eating? This was something Charlie was always aware of uh, all through his life. You know, what was he putting in his body? And uh, he put a lot of different things in there. <laughs> but uh, towards the end of his life, he became a vegetarian and would fall off the wagon now and then, calling hot dogs a vegetable. But pretty much keeping up with his vows, you know, not to eat. He would spend time at uh, Zen retreats, um, played the sitar at times. Uh, music was really the important thing in his life. He really... Uh, he was talking about, you know, making another album, which I had always begged him to do. I wanted to make an album, typically enough, of uh, work songs uh, from California Labor Movement. Um, and evidently, he did tape some of them. We'll be seeing, you know, what he left, what kind of music he left for us behind. Charlie was a ball player. He was a Giants fan. Um, I've seen him in games. I mean, he's an excellent ball player where he uh, took over a game himself, stole bases, you know, got base hits, uh, made fielding plays that saved the game. I remember one year we were playing in a fast-pitch softball league and we were losing, and I got kicked out of the game. And Charlie went in to sub for me and made a beautiful play to shut off a rally by the other team, by the Air Force team. Uh, we were playing for a team called I House. Uh, let's see here. This is a an feature from a website called More Perfect Union. 
And this is about the exploitation of minor league baseball players. Let's hear it. There was a time when the baseball was the unquestioned they are the beating heart of yeah. these communities. But what about the players who haven't made it to the major leagues yet? The minor leaguers. How much do they make? Major League Baseball has been exploiting the labor of minor leaguers for decades. Thousands of minor leaguers arriving to spring training, hoping to make their club's opening day roster, are forced to survive on the last paycheck that they received at the end of the season over six months ago. In the 2019 season, MLB generated a record $1.2 billion in profit and $10.7 billion in total revenue. Almost all of the 30 major league owners are billionaires and have a combined net worth of over $75 billion. When you talk about uh, what you can do as an owner to help the club win, doing everything you can to generate extra revenues. In order to save a couple million dollars, these billionaire owners are paying their minor leaguers poverty wages. Many minor leaguers are making less than $5 an hour, and even at the minor league's highest level, the level just before the major leagues, they're making only $14,700 a year. You'd be amazed at how many people I ran into during my career that thought we'd make a lot of money. <laughs> Meanwhile, you make more than me doing whatever you do. It doesn't matter. With no minor league union, MLB owners are free to use their uncontested power to set the terms and pay the contracts of minor leaguers however they see fit. Major League Baseball players do have a union. The players have successfully bargained their way to guaranteed minimum salaries of $564,000. But minor leaguers remain unrepresented and at the mercy of Major League Baseball and its lobbying power. Major League Baseball has been exempt from antitrust laws that govern nearly every other industry in America since 1922. Some in Congress are threatening to strip MLB of its antitrust exemption. There is a reason why baseball is considered the national pastime. It's just not another business operation where the bottom line has got to prevail. You've used the word exploitation. That's strong. But that's what's occurring. On one hand, you have this group of owners that is all-powerful. Then on the other hand, you have a group of workers that are fairly fungible commodity in the minds of these owners. And they don't have a union at all. And they're desperate to get into this industry. So you have this perfect recipe for exploitation. I've been leading a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball, trying to help rectify this injustice. MLB has been fighting the case for years, even trying to appeal the case to the US Supreme Court. But last year, the Supreme Court denied that request. The case continues on with a simple demand that MLB comply with the same minimum wage and hour laws that every company must comply with. Last fall, Major League Baseball announced plans to cut ties with 40 minor league teams at the end of the coming season. For decades, many small cities across America have embraced an identity of being a minor league town place where families have had an affordable option to enjoy America's pastime, to see future major leaguers up close and personal. But all of that is being stripped away in the name of greed. Than the capital city bombers, That's right. Hudson Valley Renegades. It's part of our America. cultural fabric. Yeah. Sure no and playing with those minor leaguers, I would never change that for nothing in the world because I think, you know, that reinstilled some of the desires that I had when I was a kid. Major League Baseball's economic prosperity has been built on the backs of minor leaguers and the minor league communities all across America. 
it's time to respect the labor of those who make baseball great. Okay, that was the uh, plight of minor leaguers in the baseball world. They're sort of the proletarians. I mean, some of them will make it out of the minor leagues. A few will have, you know, careers after of more than four or five years. A tiny majority, a tiny minority, pardon me, will gain fame and fortune and become regulars on baseball teams, major league teams. But for the great majority, the overwhelming majority, it's a job. It's a job and uh, they're probably not going to make it to the big leagues. So what happens to them? What's going on with them? And again, Major League Baseball is playing on their wishes, on their ambitions, the way a capitalist economy always plays on our ambitions that you can do what's never been done, that you can win what's never been won. And for a tiny, tiny percentage of people, those things come true. But it's our ambition, our need to survive, that we keep on. I want to recommend this website to you. It's called... A more perfect union. Let's do this one on Kroger, the corporate greed of Kroger, Kroger Industries. I think it's corporate greed, plain and simple. Speaking of taking care of your associates, Rodney, you uh, have found yourself in the middle of this major controversy over these hazard or hero pay mandates. Why did you decide to close stores? instead of paying your workers four to five dollars more per hour. Uh, it was uh, stores, we just decided to go ahead and uh, close them because we thought that was the longer, uh, best long-term decision. It reminded me of the scene from Star Wars where in fact they decided to destroy the planet Alderaan. We will deal with your rebel friends soon enough. This was, you know, if you don't play the game their way, they're going to punish the community. I think Kroger decided to close because they're greedy. Uh, grocery stores are making more money now than they've ever uh, made. They have, in fact, record profits. That's realized in the increases in their stock prices. It's recognized as in CEO pay. Where they refuse to recognize it is with the people who make their operation go, and that's the workers. QFC announcing the closure of two Seattle stores. The company saying it can't keep open under the city's newly passed hazard pay legislation. They can pay. They have had record profit. People in Long Beach are about to lose two neighborhood grocery stores. The stores claim they cannot afford to give workers a $4 an hour raise during the pandemic, a raise just ordered by the city. During this pandemic, Kroger has made obscene amounts of profit. In 2020, they made $2.6 billion in profit, which is more than 50% more than the previous year. The head of Kroger, Rodney McMullen, gave himself a pay raise. He now makes $21 million a year. The cost in LA City uh, that Kroger says is $20 million to pay this hazard pay to all the affected workers. 
McMullen can write a personal check for that amount and then still scrape by with a million dollars for the remaining part of the year. While grocery store workers, pharmacy workers, they're one of a very small group of workers in the United States that haven't taken a day off since the beginning of the pandemic. All those workers have showed up to allow those businesses to operate. Hazard pay is a reflection of what these workers who did not sign up to be public health workers have undergone for the, over the last year. We worked through this pandemic this whole year. People has been getting sick with COVID and they still don't show appreciation to us. When people are just trying to survive, customers put money in our pockets. We put triple that in your pockets. I believe there is such a thing in business as having a social conscience. It's really quite unforgivable that Kroger doesn't have that uh, same value in mind when looking to take care of their employees. Keep these stores open. You were given, afforded the privilege of operating when other enterprises were closed. Those windfall profits that you've made, they need to be reinvested in our communities. Okay, that was just an example of the kind of thing they do on uh, the website I mentioned, A More Perfect Union. Check it out. something that uh, also a baseball story uh, Trevor Bauer a pitcher for the hated Dodgers this one would have made Charlie smile as well as raise his eyebrows uh, Trevor Bauer is a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers and um, a woman came forward and accused Bauer of uh, sexually assaulting her and choking her and hitting her. He said the pitcher had choked her to the point of losing consciousness during two sexual encounters in the spring and injured her during the second. Bauer may face a suspension from baseball even if he is not legally charged. Bauer, of course, claims that the sexual relationship was consensual and initiated by the accuser beginning in April 2021. We have messages that show the accuser repeatedly asking for rough sexual encounters involving requests to be choked out and slapped in the face. Now, of course, if Mr. Bauer hires this woman, consensual, and she's going to do what he tells her to do. That's the whole whole point of pleasing pleasing your customer. He's been on leave since July 2nd and uh seems like none of the other players want him to come back. A majority of players do not want Bauer back under any circumstances. Okay. So is this common? I would say it's not uncommon <clears throat> that people go to prostitutes or get women or sexual partners to do things to them or you know, be the victim. 
But a ball player doing this and then coming and sitting on sitting on the bench next to you, I don't know. I'm sure uh, other players are not blameless. And the uh, problem is Trevor Bauer was an excellent baseball player, an excellent pitcher, one of the very best. And uh, looks like he's ruined his career. His big money career. None of the Dodgers want him back on. Pictures a pariah in his own clubhouse where no teammate has spoken publicly, publicly, publicly about him or come to his defense. Trevor Bauer. All right, like I say, Charlie Morgan was a ball player uh, when he was very young. He played on teams in uh, Broadmoor, Daly City, where we were living at the time. And he surprised everyone with his ability in the infield, playing second base. And at one point, a ball was hit very hard right at him, and it took a crazy hop and hit him, hit his front tooth and knocked his front tooth out. And this happened to him later on. <laughs> he had lost his other front tooth as well when he collided with a good friend of ours named Louis Matucci and knocked his teeth out. Louis, of course, was like, you know, big, strong, buff guy. Probably 205, 210, no fat at all on him. And uh, Charlie was more like 5'6", and weighed about 140, 150. So in that sense, it wasn't an even, <laughs> it wasn't an even collision. It wasn't a balanced collision, as Charlie would say. Uh, he played well into his 50s. Played on slow-pitch leagues and uh, over 50 leagues, and finally uh, his knees gave out, and he needed a, an operation. Both knees, which uh, led to, which led some, you know, bad circumstances for a while. He was taking painkillers, kind of warped his personality. Uh, let's play some music. Or listen, let's listen to Radio Labor. Okay, secretive a curriculum for the 21st century. Teach for the planet. Radio labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. 
Hello, I'm Mark Boulanger. Education about climate change should become as fundamental as teaching reading and writing. That's the message of a new campaign called Teach for the Planet, launched recently by Education International. EI is the global union for teachers and other education workers. It represents more than 32 million union members in 178 countries. The campaign began with a webinar which included representatives of EI-affiliated unions from all around the world. The webinar was opened by the president of EI, Susan Hopgood, a teacher from Australia. Our goal is ambitious, climate change based on science and with a civic action focus should be as fundamental as teaching, reading and writing. The fight against climate change must have an education face and a teacher's voice in every area of the world. This is the message we will use to drive global mobilisation for quality climate education leading up to the UN Climate Change Conference in November 2021. There, we will call on world leaders to make strong commitments to reduce carbon emissions and provide climate change education for all, prioritising both social justice and a just transition. We understand the context of this campaign. We are meeting in the time of COVID, a global health crisis the world's educators continue to meet head on. We must have the same resolve with the existential crisis of climate change. In 2015, the world committed to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, including inclusive, equitable, quality education and lifelong learning opportunities for all. Today, every goal is threatened. The head of the UN Environment Program said recently, loss of biodiversity and ecosystem integrity, together with climate change and pollution, will undermine our efforts on 80% of assessed SDG targets. There is no region of the world spared from climate issues, but I'm speaking to you tonight from the Asia-Pacific region. And in a sense, I'm speaking to you from the future. It is difficult to be optimistic. It's early autumn or fall here, too early for storm season. And yet cyclones killed hundreds in Indonesia last week. It follows a year of massive storms with rain measured at nearly a metre in just a matter of days, forcing some 20,000 people to evacuate and more than 150 schools to close. Only a year ago, it was the worst wildfires in recorded history. And five of the 10 most endangered nations due to climate change are in our region, Japan, Philippines, India, Sri Lanka and Fiji. It's one reason why the meeting just weeks ago of the Asia Pacific Climate Change Adaptation Forum was the seventh annual convening. Among the findings, Environmental changes are undermining hard-won development gains by using economic costs and millions of premature deaths annually. They are impeding progress towards ending poverty and hunger, reducing inequalities and promoting sustainable economic growth. We have a moment in history that we must seize upon. That is a broad understanding of the importance of science and fact and the cost to us all from the lies and hypocrisy of demagogues. As educators, it's a moment we have worked to create, to be prepared to lead and learn from each other, to give our students the tools of lifelong learning, the experience to understand, collaborate and act on complex issues as active and inclusive citizens. 
The climate crisis is existential for educators, our students, our communities, the entire planet. And we know that we're in an emergency, and so we've got to use every tool that we can to meet that crisis. Mitigation, adaptation, persuasion, prevention, just to name a few. It's the core, it's the essence of our role as educators to give our students the tools to be active citizens, to understand the world they live in, to see a future they can own, to work and act in collaboration with others on complex issues like sustainability. But for me, one of the critical things is that the future belongs to our students. It is their future. And they have the right to have the knowledge and the skills, the literacy, to be able to stand up and argue and create a world that they want to live in, a safe world, one where we are actually addressing the issues of climate change, a world that will exist for many generations to come. And in the end, I think that's the reason why we've got to ensure that all of our students can receive climate education. Another participant in the webinar about Education International's Teach for the Planet campaign was EI's Deputy General Secretary, Haldis Holst. We simply cannot wait. We've seen all through this pandemic that teachers and other educators have kept on working and they've been acknowledged for that. They've been out there for their students, whether it's been online, whether it's been on radio, whether it's been driving around trying to deliver an education that is relevant for them here and now and for the future. And even though we are in a pandemic, the challenges for the future haven't disappeared. So we need them to be part of the education we deliver today and tomorrow. And climate change is one of them. It's not just about learning to read and write. That's important because they are important tools to be able to acquire knowledge and to reflect on how you can make a difference. And what our students are concerned with is a future that is impacted by climate change. And I think that's why educators are so concerned of having a content and an education that addresses it so that it's relevant for our students. Some already have that curriculum. Some are already dealing with this on a daily basis. But others need that framework to be able to use the time and space to be relevant for their students and also to give them the educational space that also is safe to reflect on the knowledge that is out there, to reflect on how this impacts on their daily life. Our students live the consequences of climate change every day and they need to be able, as I said, to reflect and acquire knowledge so that they can develop how they can make a change for the future. Because they can. Because we need to instill that hope that they feel, yes, I can make a change. As an activist, as a citizen, when acquiring your skills for the job and the career you want to do, that you see that, yes, I can do that in a better future within a green economy. And that's the purpose that teachers want to be there for their students, including other educators too, everyone who interacts with young people. You want to be able to be relevant for them today, and young people are asking for this. In a way, we could even say that we have a lot to learn from young people because they can teach those of us that have been around a long time and have difficulties in changing our habits that, yes, it's possible to act in a different way. Yes, 
it's possible to think in a different way. Yes, it's possible to implement other solutions. And our students are the future. They are going to give us those solutions and we need an education to deliver that. Teachers today, educators today are ready to do that. Even though we are in a pandemic, they're not teaching about the pandemic every day. They're trying to teach the full breadth of the curriculum and they're preparing for the day that the pandemic is over. We have to prepare for recovery too. And teaching about climate change education is part of the recovery because that is also interconnected with all the other challenges we have, also when it comes to inequalities around the world. And we need to see how they interact and how we can create a better future that is more just for all our students, our indigenous students, for girls, for people with disabilities, all the people that now we see are more affected by the pandemic are more or less the same people that will be more affected by climate change. And we need to step up and equip our students so they can make a change. You can find more information about Education International's Teach for the Planet campaign at ei-ie.org. the effect of the pandemic on women this is solidarity news on radio labor hello i'm mark boulanger it's a sad reality that we pay people more to look after animals in a zoo than we pay them to look after children in a nursery that is Christina McEnany, the General Secretary of Unison, the largest labor union in the United Kingdom. She was speaking in a webinar organized by the British Trades Union Congress about the effect of the pandemic on women workers and what must be done. The unequal impact of COVID-19 on women has been very stark. Women have actually borne the brunt of this pandemic. We ran a survey in Unison and it just shows just how true that is. And in over just over two days, 47,000 women participated in that survey. Women desperate to tell their stories, share their experiences. And it told the story of loneliness, disconnection, isolation, and indeed the impact of what the pandemic was doing for their working life. It showed a deep-seated fear of catching the virus and giving it to a relative or a loved one. And it also highlighted the physical toll of the pandemic about people not sleeping well or taking regular breaks. But it also showed an increase in issues around domestic violence and a rise, a genuine rise in discrimination against pregnant women and women with children and other caring responsibilities. Women in all jobs have ended up juggling work and caring responsibilities, expected to do more than ever with the same number of hours in the day and quite often for lower pay. But of course, the pre-pandemic picture wasn't actually that much better. With inflexible work too often that saw women disproportionately having to cut their hours, take unpaid leave to cover childcare and elder care, and of course, see the impact that had on their progression. And then of course, there's the whole issue of low paid. It doesn't have to be like that. Stronger employment rights, greater flexibility, and a decent childcare system would help us all to better balance our lives, whatever our circumstances. And change is absolutely imperative if we want to kickstart our economy after this crisis. 
And there are some key changes to the laws that would make a huge difference to women in this country and women in the workplace. Right at the start of the pandemic, Unison lobbied MPs about concerns about the restrictions brought in by the Coronavirus Act. We called for guaranteed parental leave for the duration of the crisis. We called for the extension of statutory sick pay. And when you look at what happened in some sectors, that was particularly important. And a temporary increase in statutory sick pay rate, which would disproportionately benefit low-paid workers, predominantly women and black workers. And we need day one rights for all staff to be able to work flexibly and at least have 10 days parental leave to make a significant difference in the workplace. COVID yet again has shown the acute shortage of accessible and affordable childcare. And so we've also called on the government for an urgent cash injection to ensure that affordable childcare is universally available and for additional funding targeted at provision for children from low-income households. One of the other key issues I think that we should be considering is this decision by the government to delay gender pay gap reporting by another six months after already suspending it for a year in February. It shows we've got a huge problem about how this government views gender equality. If there's no measurement of how much wider the gap has become during COVID, we're never going to be able to hold employers to account. We need to restore gender pay gap reporting, but it's not enough just to report the size of the gap. We need proper action plans that, can, that have to be mandatory, and we also believe small employers should also have to report on this. But improving legal rights is just half the story. Most of all, we need to make sure women's voices are at the heart of shaping what comes out of the other side of COVID. It's a scandal that women, mainly those in the lowest paid, have had to reduce their hours at work as a direct result of school and childcare closures. And some have been forced out of work altogether. And that the government proposes a 1% pay increase or thinks that's all we should be entitled to in the NHS is such an insult. And when you look at the, the workforce in the NHS, it is predominantly women who will be affected by this. But I suppose for me, one of the key things to come out of this would be what, what would make the biggest difference to certainly at many of the members that we've got in Unison? And that would be legislation that actually does something, not just about the gender pay gap, but about the fact that there is so much gender segregation in work. So when you look at the jobs that we've now seen as being essential during this pandemic, and when you look at the jobs that are traditionally undervalued, we're looking predominantly at caring jobs, uh, education, early years, cleaning and catering work, people who work in, in the care sector, all predominantly large groups of women. And there's a reason why they're so poorly paid, and that's because we do not value the skills that they bring to those particular jobs. And so for me, one of the key things would be, can we bring in something which is about having proper pay and conditions in sectors? Can we bring in some legislation which looks specifically at how you would job evaluate particular large categories of jobs and start to put a proper value on the worth of those jobs? And it's a sad reality that we pay people more to look after animals in a zoo and we pay them to look after children in a nursery. We pay people more to collect tickets at a train station than we do to look after our elderly relatives in a care home. And that's not to criticise people who look after animals in a zoo or people who collect tickets at a station. It's a reflection on the fact that we do not value 
the skills that predominantly women bring to these these roles. And so that gender discrimination, gender segregation in work is something that we need to seriously look at and find a way to deal with that. So that would be my plea in terms of what I think should be the biggest issue around changing laws. our Radio Labor Report for this week. Um, let's get on some more Charlie. me but my dog and she says she's been barking up the wrong tree nobody loves me but my doggy and she says she's been barking up the wrong damn tree She's gonna take this old bone, Charles Morgan. Whoa, she's gonna bury me. And no matter what I do, she talk all this smack at me. She says, you gotta fill up my bowl each and every night. You got to scratch them fleas away when they try to bite. Take me out walking with them other dogs So I won't feel alone And take me on down to that butcher shop So I can get down to the bone Whoa! Nobody loves me but my doggy And she says she's barking up the wrong damn tree Lord have mercy She's gonna take this old bone, Charles Morgan. Whoa, she's gonna bury me. And she never lets up. She keep talking her smack on me. She says, take away the Purina. I want a New York steak. You better tell me dry when I get wet so I won't have to shake. dog has for when I want to preen and you better chase them cats away in case I'm feeling mean because nobody loves me but my dog whoa and she says she's barking up the wrong tree what am I gonna do now she's barking up the wrong bark She's gonna take this old bone, Charles Morgan. She's gonna dig a hole with her sharp front paws. Whoa, she's gonna bury me. And this is the only way I can tell her how I feel.
she keeps it up though. I'm here to tell you, Daddy. I ain't some mangy mutt. I want a diamond studded collar for when I want to strut. My doghouse needs wallpaper. It's looking like a dump. And when I bark and wag my tail, you know I'd better see you jump. Whoa! Nobody loves me but my dog. Whoa! And she says she's barking up the wrong tree. Oh, no. She's gonna take this old bone, Charles Morgan. Ain't no meat left on it, and you know she's gonna bury me. Then she tried to finish me off. I've seen some other boy dogs out there who run it hard and fast. They've been checking out my wagon tail when I've been walking past. You know, you run out of curveballs, sucker. You better get yourself another pitch. And if I don't see some changes soon, you can get yourself another four-legged little bitch. Because uh, nobody loves me but my doggy. Whoa, she says she's barking up the wrong tree. Whole forest of wrong trees. Where she talking to me? She's gonna take this old bone, Charles Morgan, down to the funky side of town where the corporate WTO gangsters dump their toxic waste, where nothing can live but broken dreams and rust and battery acid. She's gonna bury me, Lord have mercy. Whoa. Somebody help me. community I've called home for 30 years is a rural community that's known fire and flood. And it's mostly clustered around a bay. Now the bay used to run a little bit further south, but it's silted up pretty much in most of its pasture land. So running along the south side of it is a levee with a road on it. And on the south side of the levee road is the home of a family called Love. And every once in a while, the, the water tries to reclaim that part of the bay and runs over the levee and floods. And even though over the years, the Love family has put their house up on posts. Sometimes they still have to jump on a rowboat and row away to dry terra firma. Regrettably also, the, the rising waters also seem to be a little bit too much like the rising costs of housing. Land and homes have gotten to a point where most people can't afford them. 
And unfortunately, I've had to watch uh, too many of my friends move away from the area because they couldn't afford to buy a home or rent anymore. So this is the Levy Road song. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rode. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. It rose so high it put a tear in my eye. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. Inch by inch, the water rises slow. Inch by inch, the water rises slow. Inch by inch, it rises slow. Me and my family gotta pack up and go. The water on a levee road, it rode. The water rose and then it came in waves. The water rose and then it came in waves. The water rose and then it came in waves. So much came that the levee gave. Oh, the water on the levee rode, it rode. land the water rises like the price of land we cannot afford to rent or buy we gotta tell all our neighbors goodbye oh the water on the levee road it rose water rose from below and the water fell from above Water rose from below and water fell from above. Water rose from below, water fell from above. Could not drown out the house of love. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. The water rises like the price of land. The water rises like the price of land. We cannot afford to rent or buy. We're going to have to tell our neighbors goodbye. Oh, the water on the levee road, it rose. That was um, Brother Charlie Morgan singing about the times in Point Reyes there in Marin when the rains were so heavy that the uh, levees rose, flooded significant parts of the area. There were also times when um, forest fires got close 
scary, scaredly close to uh, Marin County and West Marin. And all those times, Charlie was in the very front, people who were helping the less fortunate, people who'd lost their homes, people who were flooded out. He made it a point. He gave up his work and worked doing whatever was necessary. Filling sandbags, taking victims into his house. For that kind of thing, he was known uh, in Point Reyes Station. His partner for many years was Sherry Learer, and together they raised a young man, a fine young man named Jubal. So Charlie was really part of the, the neighborhood, part of the whole community for well on to 50 years. And it wasn't all, you know, peace and roses. He had his conflict. For one example, a conflict around who to name the uh, post office after. Uh, other conflicts around the radio station. He was a programmer on KWMR, and the station manager steadfastly refused to let programmers into the station so they could do their work. Understandable, of course. Given the COVID, everything was turned upside down. So, Charlie Morgan, a, a good life lived. When I went over to Marin, I stopped being Bill Morgan. I became Charlie's brother. And uh, that was a great honor. Let's play something else of his. There's a song about the drought in California while he was traveling in Asia. He went around the world twice, as a matter of fact. Much of the time with his good buddy, Michael Harrington, also a good buddy of mine. And I've been asked to give a shout-out to Malene. Malene over there in Hawaii. Let's listen to some more Charlie. We're waiting for our campus correspondence to phone in, too. More Charlie. Fly across the sky and spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread. In New Zealand, I read a magazine, something nasty crossed my eye. The earth that fed me in California was turning cracked and dry. New Zealand ferns are always green, it rains more there than it should. I looked to the cloud that was raining on me and said, go, you can do some good. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. 
I don't want to see her die Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well But the weather wasn't so fine Nobody had a garden Nothing lived but weeds The earth looked like some kind of feverish person Who'd caught a strange disease He said the reservoirs are empty Cattle dying too Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California don't want to see her die I stared up to the diamond stars One cashmere night Black velvet sky and a raging river Was no other sound or sight The Big Dipper hung up above the river And I felt that it was a shame all this water here in California dry I said to the dipper by name Reach down and kiss that raging river And fly across the sky Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain Spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die People and the animals like to gather where water flows A beer, some tea, or a water hole, it's there where something grows And remember the music water makes, the rainy pool and the circle dance The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall, the laughing creek that feeds the plants Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. So that was uh, Brother Charlie Morgan, a uh, song that I always liked among all the songs that he wrote. That I think was my favorite. It was written while he was in uh, Asia, in one of his times around the world. Uh, when he came back, he got into work with a good friend named Bob Van Peer, 
who was a shipbuilder. So Charlie worked with him for a while. Then went and settled in Point Reyes Station, where he and his good friend Michael worked at a uh, pipe factory, a paranalia factory. Hello? Good morning, Vita. Good morning to you. Um, I don't know if you've been listening to the show, but um, what's happening today is I'm dedicating the show to the memory of Charlie. Charlie, my brother and your uncle. And uh, I wonder if there's anything you could contribute, any little stories you know about Charlie that sort of typify who he was and what he was about. And I know, uh, is Yemen there? Yeah. Hello. Hi, Bill. Hello, Yemen. I know you didn't know Charlie for very long, but I'm wondering if you could also comment uh, on something you remember uh, that might have impressed you about Charlie. So something that always impressed me about Uncle Charlie is how he always liked to make jokes all the time and make people laugh. And just, like, hang out with everybody. Ever since I was little, he'd always be making funny jokes. And I always saw you as funny and sweet. We had a good time when we went, we went to see Beach Blanket Babylon oh, together. Yeah. <laughs> and we went to... I like it when we went recent, more recently, sometimes over the last few years, you and I would go visit him sometimes and go for a walk with him and Michael. Uh-huh. And I liked that spot out there. It was really nice, like, to be out there and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good memories I have about Uncle Charlie. When I was younger, when I was, like, I think 11 or 12, Uncle Charlie would always give me good advice about everything and tell me, like, you know, about life, that he had traveled all over the world and stuff and you know, how I should always follow my dreams or follow what I want to do. He was just always very supportive of me and always, like, was, you know, uh, telling me, like, that I'm great or, like, whatever I'm doing is great and I'm awesome. So I just always have positive memories where he was just always very loving and kind, you know. I, uh, there was not a time when I talked with Charlie on the phone or in person there was never a time where he didn't say to give you a hug or say hello to you or ask yeah. how you were doing. You were very important in his life. Yeah, and I would call him sometimes when I was in Davis and say hi to him and stuff. And it was nice. We would talk for a really long time about stuff. We liked, we both like occult stuff and like esoteric um, leanings, I guess, like we were interested in that stuff, so he would tell me that Yemen, I think, is a fire sign, and I'm an air sign, or something like that, and that we go well together. Well, that's and, good to know, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he would tell us about, like, about, well, he would talk a lot about astrology and stuff. It was very interesting, the things he knew about that, and, like, I, I like to listen to it. I, I don't really, you know, know anyone else who is into, like, that, so... You know, I don't necessarily believe in all of it, but I find it very interesting. And I think like a lot of it would give me insight about life, even just like the ideas or understandings 
um, that ancient people used to have in astrology. And him and I would kind of talk about that. And I would, I'd definitely always be interested. But yeah, he knew I was into all that stuff and the almanac and nature. And we would talk about all of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. There Very were even good. some good books, too, that he wanted to give me. And I was just, we hadn't seen each other in so long because of the virus, you know? Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was a great guy, stand-up guy, awesome person. I feel very sad that he's gone because just the world doesn't feel as friendly without him here because he's always, like, you know, in my corner and stuff. Well, I'm still, you know, I'm still living within that bubble that, you know, that I can call him anytime I want or that any minute he might call me, so... That's going to take yeah. a, a ton, a while to get over with. Uh, he was so yeah, full of course. life. and. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, Yemen, what do you think? Have you got something that you could remember about my... Of course. Yeah, Charlie was, as everybody who knows him, is always very kind and very open. And it was really nice to be able to, you know, just uh, like... You know, you could expect him to come to you and talk to you, and you can expect him to, like, sort of, you know, ask you, like, about yourself and, you know, have you, like, sort of talk, talking about yourself, which, you know, we, we all love to do, and that was very kind of him. And, you know, he also, when he spoke, he was very knowledgeable about the things that he spoke. We would talk about, like, certain things on the radio or certain things going on in society, and he'd always have, like, a stance on it, and it was always, like, thought out in multiple ways that like i like like i love listening to him talk about his things like and and just you know he you'd, sometimes he'd go on about it and i'd be like just listening and listening and the way he thinks about things and his approach on like you know like life in general was right. crazy another thing that another thing that charlie and i i feel like because i didn't get to know him that much and it was always like all right we're gonna we're gonna hang out some time and we're gonna like we're going to do some, like, we're going to talk and all that stuff. And, you know, we would talk about music and I know that, you know, he loved that and he loved playing music and I love playing music too. Um, and I know, like I heard, you know, he, he told us about his story of how he started and, and with uncle Denny and, and all that. And I feel like I can relate to him on that because I would just watch my friends play too. Uh -huh. And we talked about, we talked about, you know, he wanted to get on a, he wanted to get the right type of computer so that we can start mixing music or he can start putting his records on the internet, like music he has, music he's messed around with. And, you know, we always wanted to sort of get into that. I never got the chance to. Yes, he was always super kind and always a fun person to talk to. And we went, we went on that trail as well. We sort of, you know, stood, mm -hmm. like stepped back and, you know, walked together and talked and, you know, had like, you know, as, as somewhat of a heart of a heart that we can, I, I could have just given that the level I was getting to know him because as far as I've known him, I've been in school or trying to get out of school. Well, he's, he thought very highly of you. I mean, he was very happy when he first met you and got to know what kind of person you were too. Yeah, another story. I was like, he said something about being in, and, I, and and that's awesome. And you know, I, I'm gonna miss him a lot. And this is a funny story. Just like 
sort of a funny story where, you know, he just told me that, like, yeah, no, I've been to Damascus, you know what I mean? And I'm like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> how, like, that's so random. Like, it's, like, on the other side of the world. But, you know, he was very, like, well-seasoned and all that. And it's, and, and, like, you can tell just by talking to him how rich conversation is, like, how rich the conversation is. I just wanted to add that. It was very, like, because really? I'm from Damascus and I'm some, like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> He just, he's just, you know, and like when he speaks of it, it's like, you know, he's been there, right? You know, he's been to those areas because yeah, it's yeah. like, that's the vibe. Like, that's how you would talk about it. It's just awesome. It was, it was awesome talking to him, getting to know him. And we really, I really wanted to get to know him after I graduated, which would hopefully be in a month. But, you know. I always respected how he worked with his hands, too. Yeah. He like, um, you know, created things like that and worked with his hands. And I think it's. It's really cool, and I think a lot of people nowadays aren't like that, and they lose like something about their essential uh, self. So I respect that. I respect that he was a man who worked with his hands and like made a living that way. I agree. I, that's one thing I wanted to mention in terms of his traveling. Yeah. He went to Israel for a while and lived in a kibbutz, but yeah. he didn't. He didn't like what was going on, so he quit the kibbutz, and he found a guy in prison, an Israeli guy in prison who was a conscientious objector who had refused to be drafted into the Israeli army. And he wrote an article about it and uh, tried to publish it, I think, in a couple of big magazines. Yeah. But you can imagine, you know, what the magazines did with that. They definitely didn't want to publicize it. There were people who uh, refused to uh, terrorize their neighbors. Right. Okay, well, you guys, I want to thank you for calling in. And uh, next week we'll get back onto some politics or some uh, social justice stuff. I want to appreciate that, you know, you were willing to talk about Charlie and, and yeah. uh, let let everybody know your own ideas about him. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you for giving us the space to grieve. Okay, well, good luck at school. Talk to you guys soon. Ciao. Talk to you later. Okay, Have bye, bye, Vita. Bye, bye, Yam. Okay, that was Vita and Yemen, our uh, campus correspondents from Cal State, Cal University, University of California at Davis. It's easy for you to say. Let's do a little bit of labor history before we sign out of here. August 20th, 1619. What happened in 1619? I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1619. That was the day that the first ship bearing enslaved people arrived in North America. It was an English warship called the White Lion that came to Johnstown in the colony of Virginia. The ship was a privateer and had captured 20-odd enslaved people from a Portuguese ship in a raid. Virginian planters were interested in forced labor to work the tobacco fields in the colony. The laws surrounding slavery in Virginia evolved over time. 
throughout the 1600s, statutes replacing indentured servants to race-based slavery for life were written into the law books. In 1654, John Kayser became the first person enslaved under the rule of law in North America. By 1662, a law was passed that children would be considered enslaved or free based on the status of their mother in Virginia. This meant that slavery could pass down from generation to generation. This and similar laws ensured slavery would grow. Historians estimate that 388,000 enslaved people came to what became the United States from Africa. Due to laws passing down slavery to children, by the Civil War, there were nearly 4 million enslaved people in the South. By the early 1800s, enslaved people made up about one-third of the Southern population. Initially, enslaved labor worked predominantly to produce crops like tobacco, indigo, and also rice. Some West Africans had developed valuable skills in rice cultivation that white landowners exploited through slavery. With the invention of the cotton gin in 1793, cotton became increasingly important to the Southern economy. The South's dependence on slave labor became more entrenched and spread westward with the growing United States until the Civil War ended the brutality of slavery. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1997. That was the day that a strike by the Teamsters Union against UPS ended with a victory for the union. The strike had started 15 days earlier. More than 180,000 UPS workers participated in the action. It was the first nationwide strike by UPS workers. At the time, UPS delivered 80% of all packages in the United States. The company, known for its signature brown trucks, delivered 12 million packages a day. The key issue of the strike was that the company increasingly relied on part-time workers. The insecurities of part-time work were growing, not just at UPS, but for workers in industries all across the country. The strike settlement came with the union winning its core issues. The company agreed to convert 10,000 part-time jobs to full-time positions over the course of the next five years. The victory was significant for the U.S. labor movement. The 1980s and 1990s saw new attacks on labor unions and working people, starting with President Ronald Reagan's breaking of the air traffic controller union strike in 1981. The UPS victory in a national strike with broad rank and file support encouraged working people beyond the Teamsters Union. Announcing the settlement of the strike, ABC News anchor Peter Jennings declared, quote, it's been the most dramatic confrontation between industry and organized labor in two decades. Teamsters president Ron Carey said, quote, it's what this country needs. Decent jobs, a chance for the dream, a chance to purchase a home, a chance to bring your children up properly, a chance to send them to college. Enough is enough. And it's about time that people start fighting back on this. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Okay, so that's our labor history. August 20th, the first enslaved people imported into what was to become the United States. And what does that have to do with labor? <laughs> the whole structure of slavery, of black slavery, of race-based slavery, was based on the need for cheap 
labor. This is the dream, the wet dream of the high and the mighty. Cheap labor. Okay. It's about time for me to shove off here. Coming up later on will be uh, Flat Black Plastic. This is the bee telling you if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio here at Mutiny, 21st and Florida, in the Mero Mero, the heart of the mission. And uh, we'll have more for you next week. Today is dedicated to Robert Charles Morgan, 1948 to 2021. And the way you honor Charlie. How could you honor Charlie? What do we do when times are tough? We dance. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship 
as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny ra- radio, my friend. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be. Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Michael Spiegelman. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Let's Spiegelman. We're hosts of <laughs> YouTube with Michael Spiegelman. Follow us on the podcast by, with our acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. We watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time yeah l-w-a-f-l-m-o-y-t yeah l-w-a-f-l-m-o-y-t that's every sunday 2 p.m pacific standard time or if you're carl five percent five percent right i'm so lazy three hours later i finally get to the show 5 p.m let's hear the theme song Oh, uh, uh, let's watch full length. All right, let's do a full minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See, See you next month. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible. 1969 gold Cadillac with a white interior. I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in it on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday noon to two. On the freeway. Good feeling. I am a total fan. Laurie Stanton. Jesus. Voice is absolutely right. I am Teddy, Elias, and adolescent. And I will cut the damn shit. Henry. Charlie here. Yeah. 
I have a report here, Henry, from your, uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And... Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion 
and love with passion and our passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for... <laughs> it's in this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen Summer Cottage on the Mountain Ridge with the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your touching. <laughs> 